Hey, it's me, Jake. Hello. It's the episode. It's the Jake. This podcast. Hey, look. I know what I said on Boxing Day when I said I was going to try and do an episode once a week, and sometimes it was just going to be me. And uh, okay, so all right, I, we've got to just forgive ourselves. I think we. I, I have to forgive myself. You don't have to forgive me. You can do whatever. You can grudge against me if that's what you want to do. But I know it's been a while, and I know I didn't. Uh, I had, I had, oh my God, I said it and then I dropped the ball a week later and now it's been several weeks. Anyway, here I am. Welcome back. Oh, I think, let's talk about where I'm going. All right, I've got this big world tour and I have a guest today, which is, uh, which is great and it's a travel guest and so I want to tell you about my trip that I've got coming up. I'm going to be working with uh, the great Russell Peters and let me see what music is the best for this. Uh, oh, this is kind of nice, isn't it? I don't know if I like that music. That's not so good. How about this? Yeah, that's nice. Um, I'm going to be, first Russell and I are going to go on tour to Australia. And we're going to be in Perth, Australia, February 5. Then we're going to be in Sydney, Australia, February 8th, the 10th of Feb. We're going to be in Melbourne. And then we're going to Brisbane, but they spell it Brisbane. Um, and we're going to be there February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, which we have off in Brisbane, so uh, it's, we're going to have a sharky Valentine's, and then we're going to go to New Zealand. I'm hoping to see some of my in-laws and family and friends there in New Zealand and Auckland, February 16th and 17th. Then we're off to Singapore. Oh, and I think we're even flying on Singapore Airlines, which is exciting because uh, I've been seeing the ads for Singapore Airlines for the longest. Now we're playing some New York music behind this. So Singapore is February 24th and 25th, February 27th, Jakarta. February, or March 2nd, Kuala Lumpur, then we're going to Bangkok on March 4th, on March 9th, Manila, March 13th, Hong Kong, March 14th, Hong Kong, and finally, March 16th, we're going to be in Shanghai, TBC, which I think means TB, uh, to be, we don't know for sure, but I think that's going to happen. So check Russell's website for tickets and links, and I hope that if you live in those places, you can come and see me. And if not, I, I hope you're happy for me, even though I've disappointed you in terms of how many podcast episodes. This is episode 219, just BT, BTW. I've, I have had three weeks to remember what episode it is, and so job done. Now you know. So my guest this week is someone that I met traveling the last time I was in Australia for the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and that was in March-April of 2016. And it was a great experience. Shout out to all my Mel, 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 Melburnians. I, and I think they say it, Melbourne. Or they, I don't know. I'm, I'm not clear exactly how we're supposed to say it. But I'm, I think I'm forgiven by the, by the people of Melbourne or Melbourne. And uh, one of the days that I had off, I took this tour up the Great Ocean Road to go to see the Twelve Apostles, which is this amazing geographical feature right on the coast. And we also saw... Uh, koalas, and uh, I don't think we did see a kangaroo that day, but I saw, I think they're called echnitis. Anyway, I met Whitney uh, Whitrock on the bus on the way back because we were the two Americans who were on the bus, and we ended up at a grocery store. She was buying some Tim Tams, which I was familiar with. They're a great uh, Australian cookie snack, and I was getting a bottle of red wine, (laughs) but I don't know, because I have a drinking problem, and I thought I would share it with her on the bus, and we didn't find out till right afterwards that she cannot drink red wine, and so that was a little bit of a social fail for me, but um, it wasn't completely terrible, because now when I came to Denver, which is where I am right now, doing shows at the Comedy Works this weekend, uh, 
Whitney had seen online that I was coming to town, sent me an email. She came out to see the show on Thursday night, and I asked her to be on uh, the podcast because she was just, were you just at the beginning, Whitney, of your trip? I was about halfway through. I think I was four or five months in by the time I'd met you, so. Four or five months into a year-long trip, mm-hmm. sort of around the world, right. yep. you quit your job and sold your house. And my car. And your car to have this amazing adventure. I met her on this bus. I told her how just how great it was. Uh, at the time, how old were you when you left on the trip? I was 29 when I left on the trip. 29. So anyway, that's my guest today, Whitney Whitrock. Thank you and welcome. And <laughs> Thank you, Jake. Thank you so much for having me on. I was really um, like, I feel like honored is like such a big word, but I felt honored that you asked me to be on this show because I think this is, this is just great. It's great to talk to you and great to talk about my the trip and then also to get other people to understand like how they can do something similar because it really isn't rocket science. Well, that was my thinking just because I didn't take any opportunities or even understand that that was an opportunity when I was 29. I was in the middle of kind of getting my creative career off the ground. I was already doing some kind of out-of-the-box thing at the time. But it, I, I just think it's such a great time of your life to take that time off and do it as opposed to a lot of people think, right. oh, I'm going to go around the world when I'm retired right. at 65. Right, and then you're like old and then you're like tired and then it's too much and then you give up on it. And Well, or, you, or you've, you've also Sorry got Sorry if like, I offended old people. That was not the point. <laughs> yeah. A shout out to my old people. I'm an old person. But, uh, but even... Even in spite of that, or, or besides that, you, you may, when you get to be in your 50s or 60s, you may feel like, oh, geez, I can't sleep in a hostel or I can't, I can't go lower budget. Although you didn't really go as low a budget because right. you, you, you did a really brave thing because it's not like you left your job at the mall or the Starbucks. You left a real job where you were making real money. You owned a house <laughs> yeah. and you just said, look, I'm going to put pause on that. So... Talk a little bit about that decision and your thinking and how did you come to decide to go on this around the world trip? Okay, sure. And if this gets too long-winded, just stop me with questions because I'm known for like never shutting up. Um, But so I'd always been kind of a traveler. I'd always loved going abroad, seeing new things. Um, That's always been kind of in my blood, I would say. But as I was approaching my late 20s, I was thinking, you know, I just like, I don't want to spend the rest of my career in a cubicle. Like I don't want to spend the rest of my 20s in a cubicle. I don't want to do this. I'm not married yet. I don't have kids. I feel like I have, I feel like I have everything available in front of me. So like, why don't I take this leap? So it had been something that had been kind of mulling around in my mind for a long time. But what really was the tipping point was I took a trip to, I was, I'm a contractor. So I just to give you a little background. I'm a software development IT project manager and I do contract work. So I go to companies, I work for, you know, six to 12 months and then I move on. So it's pretty lucrative. Um, but sometimes you do get the flexibility in between contracts. So I was in between contracts. I took a trip to Iceland during the winter to see the Northern Lights. And when I came back, I was on the flight. I just was so sad. I was so sad to be coming back. So sad to be starting a new contract, going back to work, to another cube, to a new project. And I just thought this isn't this isn't what I want to be doing. Like I want to do what I want to do. Um, and at the at the time, the market in Colorado. Can I just ask yeah. how long was your trip to Iceland that caused that feeling? Six or seven days. So not a super long trip. No, no, but it was such a great trip. I mean, I saw the Northern Lights and I saw whales and, you know, it was just such a, and Iceland's, you know, it's, it's coming online with all the tourism and mm. everything. It was just such a great place to see. 
Um, so at the time I, I had, I'd owned a property in Boulder, Colorado. The property market was kind of going crazy. And I said, okay, next time something, something comes up about my house, I'm going to look into it. So bam, drive home, get my mail from the trip. There's a letter in the mail from some realtor who wants to sell my house. And I was like, all right, here it is. This is it, right? This is my, this is my ticket. If you don't own a house, by the way, just, (laughs) uh, to people out there, this happens all the time when you own a house in a popular place. Mm-hmm. I get letters all the time from real estate agents who are like, hey, we sold this house in your neighborhood. Maybe you'd like to sell your house. As if, as if just like <laughs> they're, they're sort of hustling you. To, right, right, yeah. exactly. They're like, oh, and it was, it kind of, and I was like, all right, here we go. This is my sign. So I called the realtor, talked to him, and I thought, yep, my house um, has grown in value. I think this is the time I can cash out of it. I can do what I want to do, and um, I can travel the world. So that's kind of what ticked everything off. So that was in February of 2015. And then I left for my trip um, no, at November 2015. So it was, I think it was a seven, eight months from the time that I decided, yep, let's get this rolling to the time that I left. And what were you doing during that seven, eight months? Um, Did you have work or? Yeah. Yeah. So I was working, I was on contract. There was a lot of planning I had to do. I had to plan, you know, I knew that to get the maximum value of my house, I had to do some renovations. So I did a bunch of renovations on my house and made sure to open up a bunch of credit cards to get points and stuff. So hotel points, flight points, everything to kind of fund my trip a little bit that way. Um, Did renovations, had to plan, you know, kind of plan my itinerary, plan my budget. Um, You know, at the time, and I I was a typical millennial. I had the trifecta. I had student loans. I had a car payment. I had a house. I had all these payments. So I was thinking, okay, I got to pay all this off. Um, I have to plan out my trip. I have to quit my job. So it was a lot of planning in that time. Mm-hmm. So, and it seems like seven, eight months is a lot of time, but it really wasn't. I felt like I was really kind of on the express train to getting out of my life and getting on a plane to starting my trip. So that's what I was doing in that time. It must have been, was it a shock to your friends and your family that you were going to take this trip? Um, yes and no. So when I told my friends, they were like, oh, this is not surprising. You love to travel. This is so great. But my family, um, my family's always been really supportive of me, but I have like notoriously been the black sheep of my family for multiple reasons. But um, when I went to tell them, I told just a couple of reasons, if you don't mind. Okay, <laughs> one, I'm a raging liberal, so mm-hmm. I'm I come from a more of a conservative family. I'm a super liberal. Um, I like Barack Obama. I like Hillary. I like to travel. I speak foreign languages, and my family—they're great people, but they're just—I just have always been a little bit different from them mm-hmm. when it comes to those things. Um, and then, so I decided to tell them on the 4th of July, we were having a barbecue at my sister's house and everybody was there and I thought, okay, it's a good time. Everybody's here. We're having a good time. It's a time to let them know I'm selling my house and my car and I'm dropping my life and taking off. So, um, we're sitting around and I was like, Hey guys, I have something to tell you. And everyone goes into like panic mode. Like, Oh my God, do you have cancer? Are you die? Like what's going on? It's like, no, no, no. Everyone just sit down. Um, making an announcement. I am, I am selling my house and I am selling my car and I'm quitting my job and I am going to take a trip around the world as long as my money lasts. By myself. By myself. Yeah. And everyone was like, everyone was just like, at first everyone just like quiet for a second. And then my youngest sister goes, I thought for sure you were going to tell us you were a lesbian. I thought that was a hundred percent what you were going to tell us. And I was like, why does everybody they're like, just because I'm like liberal and open-minded doesn't mean I'm also a lesbian. And like, shout out to all the lesbians, you know, that are listening mm-hmm. to this. And, and it didn't help that previously before that I had a, a lesbian roommate who's one of my really good friends. So they were probably thinking like, oh, she's coming out and this is her girlfriend. Um, but no, that wasn't it. I was telling them I was leaving. So um, they were really receptive and they said, this is great. This is going to be a good opportunity for you. We're excited for you. You know, and then they had all the questions. How are you going to do it? Where are you going to go? Yada, yada. Um, but yeah, so then they got on board pretty quickly with the idea. 
And by yourself, were, were, did you ever consider asking someone to go with you? Or No. No. Um, I, like, if you get to know me, I think a lot of people will tell you that I... I march to the beat of my own drum. Like I am that definition that you look up in the dictionary. I do what I want to do. Um, and I just felt like if I invited someone, first of all, no, probably nobody wants to travel that long. Second of all, I don't think anyone can get that time off of work. And third of all, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted this mm. trip to be about everything that I wanted to see. And like, and that sounds really selfish and maybe it was, maybe it was a selfish thing, but I wanted to do everything I wanted to do. And I wanted the opportunity, if I wanted to sleep in that day, I could sleep in. And if I wanted to wake up at 4 a.m. and go on a desert tour, I could do that. And if I wanted to, you know, not do anything one day at all, I wanted that. I didn't want someone to be like, oh, well, I want to go to this museum. And I want to, you know, I wanted the freedom and the opportunity to explore as I saw fit. And you're a friendly person. You've made friends. You've traveled by yourself before. And yeah, you're fine. yeah. And I, I made friends with you. So, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, I'm a friendly person too, so that, that's not the yeah. best example. But maybe maybe that is who you do make friends with when you're a friendly Other person. Other friendly people. You don't right. make friends with jerks. Yes. Right? They're <laughs> not open to it. So you don't no. have to worry about jerks as much as you think you do because right. they're not trying to be jerky with you. Right, exactly. Um, and were you worried about your safety, female, on your own at all? Um, no, I wasn't. And I was, I think this is kind of maybe like a long winded answer to this, but no, I wasn't. And I feel like. America is a great place to grow up, to be born, to live. This is a great country. There's a lot of great things about it. But I think one flaw that we have in our culture is we're very fear-based. We have this, like, fear mind. The media is like, you know, ISIS is going to come get you. Kim Jong-un is going to drop a nuclear weapon on your house. Like, um, you know, every bad thing that you can think of is just constantly put in your face all the time. So I think there's this culture of fear, you know, and people, that's the first question people ask, well, are you afraid? Are you afraid? Are you afraid? And I'm like, if you push all those things aside, most people are good. Most people want to do the right thing. Most people aren't out to get you. So, so the fear really wasn't there. I think that's great. Well, and that's what I tell people all the time, because I've been going to New Orleans every year for 20 something <laughs> years and it's the crime, it had right. been the crime capital of the country and it's, you know, not, but, but it's always there. Yes, there, there is a, possibility that something really terrible could happen. Totally. But the probability of that possibility is very low, just generally speaking. Right. And then there are specific things that you personally can do to make it even lower. Right, exactly. And so you, you kind of mitigate and avoid a lot of the, those dangers. Right, exactly. Like, you don't pick flights that land at 2 o'clock in the morning. You don't walk in a dark alley at night in a foreign country. I mean, you don't do that at home. In De- like, I wouldn't walk in a dark alley in Denver at night, you know? Um, you don't do things like carry $600 of cash with you and put your passport in your back pocket and, you know, like, just scream, like, please rob me. Like, you, you just use, like, common sense to avoid a lot of these things. Well, that just made one one question about that. Did you have any, did you take pepper spray or a pocket knife or a, <laughs> did you learn karate? Right, yeah. No, I didn't do any of those things. No, I didn't, I did zero of those things. And I know listeners can't see me, but I'm a five foot one female. So I, I when it comes to self-defense, I probably would just lose. Like it's not, yeah, I didn't do any of that. Yeah, that's my, that's my approach to self-defense also. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> No thank you to violence. <laughs> if you want my money, just you can have, have it. my money. Just, you can you, have you it. Need, if you might need you it more than it. I do. Just You have to convince yeah. me a little bit that you're dangerous, but but it's not it's not right. gonna be tough. Yeah, here, just take it. Yeah. It's fine. Um, talk a little bit about your prep. Well, let's can you go through a quick itinerary so that pe- people are like, oh, I want to know where she went and what she did. Yeah. And then t- and then let's talk about the prep. So quick, where where sure. did you start off and where'd mm-hmm. you 
Where'd you go to? Um, so I started in Europe. I had lived in Germany for a couple years in my early 20s, had some friends there. So I started in Germany. From there, I did a couple other places in Europe, went on to Turkey. From Turkey, I went down to Africa. I did Namibia. Uh, I wanted to see the Namib Desert, so I did a desert safari in Namibia. Mm -hmm. From there, I went to Mauritius. Um, and then I kind of did a circle back, and then I went to Mexico. I have a really good friend in Mexico City, Started met her there. We went down to Guatemala, followed that all the way down through Central America, had one of my really good friends fly out, meet me in Panama. Um, and then after that, I did hit South America, and I did all of South America. Uh, not all of it, most of South America. Then I flew from Buenos Aires to Auckland, and then I did New Zealand and Australia, mm -hmm. of course, where I met you. And then I did Southeast Asia, a little bit of Thailand, Cambodia, Myanmar, Nepal, uh, India, back to Europe and uh, Iceland. And then I finished my trip in Ibiza. So my 30th birthday was right around that time. So my friends flew out, met me in Ibiza. So that's kind of where I wrapped it up. So really it was a full around the world. Around the world. Yeah. yeah. Really, mm -hmm. really an amazing itinerary. And how... So now let's go back and talk a little bit about your prep. You said that you got some certain credit cards to get miles. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's taken one of these trips, what are the two credit cards that they want to think about or one or what what do you what would you say? I would say like I focus more on hotel credit cards because I feel like you spend less time getting to a place than you are staying there. So you might take a 5-hour flight to get there, but if you're staying there 5 days, you know, you get more value out of the hotel. So mm -hmm. I went with the Starwood branded American Express credit card because I felt like by far and away they had the best value of points. I think by opening the card and putting X amount of dollars on it, I got like 50,000 points. And you can start redeeming at 3,000 points a night. So that 50,000 points will take you a long way and you can stay in some super nice places. You also get status when you open one of these cards. So it was like I had status. I'd never stayed in a Starwood hotel. And like my first day, they're like, oh, Miss Whitrock, welcome. You have status. We upgraded you to a suite. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, oh, so even if you're not burning points, if you're paying for your room, they bump you up. Right, exactly. So right. Um, all the, I got a ton of, I would say, do hotel points. So I did the Starwood um, American Express. I kind of focused a lot on putting my renovations on that to maximize the amount mm -hmm. of points I got there. Um, and then for flights, I recommend the United Mileage Plus Explorer card because if you are doing a lot of flights, you want to make sure to kind of aggregate your miles on certain alliances. There's two major alliances, Star Alliance, which is United, and then Continental One World, which is American Airlines, I think. So I had the United card so that I was like getting miles as I was going so I could redeem those for flights. So I was able to redeem some flight and hotel rewards along the way, and those were my luxuries. And then... I did some cheap stuff too. So you tried to fly that United Alliance all the time, whether you were paying and sometimes then if you were paying, you were paying. And if you're paying, then you're accumulating miles and right. then you can spend them to redeem miles. Right. Yeah. I mean, I tried to, but if there was a cheaper, like local, whatever, like I flew like Yeti Airlines in Nepal and like, like mm -hmm. that was like, I don't know, super cheap. So sometimes I flew like local, maybe not so safe airlines if they were cheaper, um, but I did that, and then when there was a Star Alliance, if the Star Alliance flight was like $5 more, I would do that to maximize on points. But otherwise, yeah, sometimes I'd fly the local cheap airlines. And what other, were there any preparatory resources that you'd recommend to somebody who's, take, who's thinking about a trip like this? You know, there weren't like a ton of resources out there. I just did a lot of Googling and kind of read other people that had done these things. And then I, I blogged my whole adventure. So so I made that like a point in my blog to like, how do you prep for something like Which this? Which is online and people can go look at yeah. your blog. Mm -hmm. when, my, tell them, tell them yeah. what it is. It's um, highheelsandalaptop.com. High heels and a laptop. 
Com. Yep. And that has all the preparation and everything I did on there. So I kind of just, you know, ad hoc got information, but for preparation before I went, the big thing that I did was made sure I had all my vaccines, made sure I had malaria meds. You know, the, the physical health aspect was really important because you are going to countries where, you know, polio might still be endemic or, you know, malaria is a big risk. So I took care of a lot of that, um, made sure to pack medicine and things like that, that would protect me along the way. So that was sort of preparation. And then the rest of the preparation was just pack light. Mm. You know, pack light. Nobody's going to see you again. You can wear the same clothes for a week. How, when you say pack light, how much stuff did you take? I took one carry-on and one kind of big purse that was big enough to put my laptop in. And how big of a carry-on are we talking about? Like one of those wheelie bags that you see people in the airport with? Yeah. Well, I have one, I shouldn't say. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a standards carry-on size. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the brand I used. Um, I invested in kind of a fancier suitcase cause I'm like, well, this play things going around mm-hmm. the world with me. So just a standard carry on. And, um, I just packed really well. And well, what I found though, flying just to New Zealand to visit family, they won't let you take that on that standard right. wheel, wheel bag, mm-hmm. which is the one that just fits in every American mm-hmm. overhead bin. They, that's too big and too heavy. They won't let you take that on, on, uh, Air New Zealand or right. Qantas flight. So I had to check my bag on a lot of flights. My plan was mm-hmm. to carry on everywhere. That didn't work. Um, but the, side, the it was a twofold reason. One, I wanted to check on so I didn't, or carry on so I didn't lose my bag. But two, I also just like, it's just me. Like I don't want to be hauling around like my life's possessions in like two huge suitcases. And also I sweat a lot. So I didn't want one of these like big <laughs> like backpacks, you know, like, right. no, like that's just too much for me. So I just did the one bag. So you did have the, what did it have wheels? Yeah, it had wheels. It was a four wheeler. Yeah. So it's a four wheeler mm-hmm. and you've got a few changes of clothes. Mm-hmm. That's not room for a lot of changes, right. but you, it's surprising how much you can get into one of those. Bags. Right. Yeah. And then I used packing cubes to kind of roll everything in. Packing cubes were amazing. I, I did no makeup, uh, no hair. That was my rule. I wasn't going to wear makeup. I was going to be my authentic self. Um, I think I had like maybe like one eyeliner with me. Um, so that saved on packing. And it was it, it was mostly warmish weather. You didn't have to have a parka and a mittens and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Correct. I tried to follow the sun. That was mm-hmm. kind of the way I did it was follow the sun so that I had li- I didn't have to change my clothes so much. I did have to buy one jacket in Peru when I was going to Machu Picchu because it was like pouring rain. So I bought like a North Face rain jacket that I ended up wearing um, in a lot of other places. But no, I didn't go anywhere where it got like super cold and needed to like get a whole new wardrobe. And you're also not then doing very much shopping because you don't no. have room to acquire things. Right. So that's a good, good for your yep. budget. Well, what kind, what type of uh, gear did you take? You've got your computer because you're doing your blog. Mm-hmm. And um, did you have a fancy camera? No, I used my iPhone 6S. So at the time, the 6S was the cream of the crop. That was the, you know, now we're at 10, but at the time, you know, it's like two years ago. Uh-huh. Um, it had a great camera, so I just used that as my camera. It took amazing photos. A couple other things that I took with me, I had a travel towel, which is like this microfiber thing that rolls up really small. I use that everywhere. I use that as a towel in hostels. I use it as a towel at the beach. Um, I used it, you know, for everything. Like it was just such a great catch all. They always tell you to take one of those. And I always wonder like, is it worth it? The space that you give up to have that yeah, with you? It, Do, it and was this a bath towel? Uh, was this like a beach yeah, towel? Yeah, it was. Thing? But the thing is they, they fold up pretty small. So mm-hmm. really they relatively to my suitcase, it didn't take up very much space and it was beyond useful. I used it for so many things. Like it was great. And it's, it's kind of like a chamois material. So it dries really quickly and it doesn't mm-hmm. smell, but I use that so much. Um, and then one thing I brought for bottled water, I didn't want to be buying bottled water around the world. One, cause I'm, you know, a little mm-hmm. like, don't want to like waste the plastic. 
Um, But I also didn't want to waste money and have to constantly be looking for clean water because a lot of countries don't have water you can drink from the tap. So I brought... um, a Steri pen with me, which I got on Amazon for maybe forty bucks. I bought. I just bought one for you this did? trip that I'm on. Most of the places like Australia, you, you, don't, need a you don't need it. But they they did say, look, if you're in Jakarta or someplace, right. you might want to use a Steri pen. Totally worth it. Hundred percent worth it. So I never felt like stressed about having to get water because I could get water out of any tap, any hostel, any place I was staying. Even there are some five star hotels in countries where you still can't drink the water. So um, any place I was at, I just whip out my Steri pen. That was another great thing that I had. And, and you'd, you'd take water right out of the tap, yep. put it in a one liter bottle. And just drink it. Yep. Put the pen in mm-hmm. for 90 seconds or whatever, yep. and you're good to go. Yep. What was the flavor like? Uh, some wasn't that great, but you know, if you just kind of just like, uh-huh. well, this is part of the experience, you know? Uh, and w- any other things that somebody might or might not think of that were, were great additions? Um, chapstick and sunscreen because like I'm super white and like I followed the sun so I had a lot of sun exposure and I needed a lot of sunscreen but you're buying that along the way too right right bringing a yeah there was right yeah I was buying that along the way and then like I'm really particular about chapstick brand chapstick so I bought like six of those and brought those which is like Mm -hmm. way overkill but like just in case I couldn't find it um, but as far as other, tra- uh, oh, I had one other thing that was really cool that I brought is like this tiny little reusable grocery bag that like folds up into like, I don't know, the size of a, like a, an apricot or something very small. And I use that a lot. So like places, if I stay, if I was staying for weeks, sometimes I just go to the grocery store and get my groceries. So I was able to use that bag to get groceries. I was able to use it to put dirty laundry in. Um, I just use that bag all the time and it was so helpful to have like an extra little bag with me. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so I think we're ready to start talking about the actual trip. Um, <laughs> I mean, Germany is exciting to me, uh, but I feel like Europe people go to Europe. I, I've never been to Turkey. Talk. Let's start with. Let's start with Turkey. Unless you've got something about Germany that I, I, I hate to dismiss it because I, I'm <laughs> no. dying to go back to Germany. <laughs> no, Germany's great. Everybody should go there, and everybody should eat at a bakery. It'll like change your life. Um, no, Turkey was great. So it was a really interesting time to go to Turkey because um, I don't, you know, and when you're talking about history two years ago, people already forget. But there was kind of this Russia and Turkey were having issues and uh, Turkey had just downed a Russian jet. And then they said, Russia said no more, no more tourists. They took all their tours out. So it was kind of a really iffy time. This was also kind of the height at ISIS. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people were coming in through the border of Syria into Turkey to seek refuge. So it was kind of a an iffy time to be there. Tourism was down. Um, it wasn't this hustling, bustling tourist scene that you normally, I, I think you would normally experience in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. But um, Turkey was so aesthetically pleasing. The architecture, the... Well, just that amazing in between Europe and the Middle East, that that's the spot. Right. You know, and on the way to Asia. I mean, it's just... It's in this the center of this asterisk of mm-hmm. well, I mean that's why Constantinople, it's Istanbul. Right. I mean, it's like everything. It's like the Ottoman Empire. It was like the Roman Empire. It was like everybody's been there. Everybody's done something there. Right. So um, yeah, it was amazing. The Hagia Sophia, um, the Blue Mosque, all these amazing things. The food was amazing. Uh, it was a very different, interesting cultural experience. Now, I do have to say, I, I had very few problems on my trip in general. Very few. One of the problems I did experience was in Turkey. Um, and it partially, I'm not, I don't want to like 
blame women for this, but I felt like I had at the time long blonde hair. I was not covering my head because Turkey is a modern Muslim country. No one's required to wear hijab, but with fair skin and long blonde hair, men did typically try to follow me, ask me questions, try to touch my hair, things like that. And most of the time I could brush it off. You're getting a lot of interest. It's just right. like it's a nuisance a little bit. Right, exactly. So I thought, well, this is kind of annoying. And I was alone. You know, I didn't have mm -hmm. anybody around. You know, I wasn't traveling. I didn't have a male companion. So um, that was a little annoying. But I solved that by, you know, just putting a scarf on my head, calling it a hijab, and wearing my sunglasses. And nobody bothered me the rest of the time. So Amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like as long as you kind of mold into the culture that you're in, like people will leave you alone. But it was it was amazing. And are you planning your day-to-day -day itinerary? I mean, it, it's obviously you're going to Istanbul. It's not hard to find places that you want right. to go see. But are you planning your itinerary based on just going on the Internet and looking at the top ten list? Or how, how do you plan your, your day? And how long did you decide to stay someplace like that? Um. So... What I did was I kind of, I already kind of knew places that I wanted to go and see because I had some time to prep and plan. And so um, a lot of times I would just go online and look at the highlights to see, but then I would also kind of just kind of Google like hidden things to see, you know, like, oh, this is something not a lot of people know about, but go check it out. So I would kind of plan my day day to day. Like I'd wake up and be like, okay, today I'm going to the Blue Boss. Like, okay, today I'm going to the Bosphorus, things like that. So I wasn't super rigid on my schedule because I also wanted this time off from work and from life to also be very, very relaxing. I didn't want to be like on this rigorous, like, okay, at 8 a.m. I'm getting up and I'm going here, 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 and here. So it was just kind of day by day. So would you have your plane or train ticket to the next destination pre-scheduled or would you do that as you were going or how did you plan that out? Um, it was a little bit of both. So some places I did book in advance. I knew I was like, okay, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And then I had tickets and plans and things like that. Other places I had a little, I left myself more flexibility to, okay, I'll buy a ticket on my way out when I'm ready. So it was a little bit of a mix of both, just depending on where I was at and what I wanted to see. So like in Turkey, I didn't just do Istanbul. I really wanted to go to Cappadocia. And that's a super famous place, like with the air balloons and then like these, you know, ge uh, geological shapes. I'm sure if I showed you a photo of it, you'd be like, oh, I've seen that all over Instagram. But I really wanted to go there. So I like had to book, book a flight to go there. So I booked a flight, went there, stayed in a cave hotel, did one of these hot air balloon rides, like it, just like an, an amazing experience in Turkey, like and during also kind of like a tense time, you know, like to be there, like oh, this is like when the action is happening, you know. Mm -hmm. it, well, now it's interesting because you and I talked a little bit about this the other night when you came to the sh after the show. We ha we talked, and and so I think people now are listening to you talk about the things that you did, and they're realizing that you weren't really on a budget trip, and so there's two <laughs> ways to think about that. I mean. On the one hand, you can go on a trip mm -hmm. and be on a budget, but on the other hand, there's a bravery to what you were doing because you were spending the profit and the savings that you had in your bank to have right. these, you were spending your money and your savings on these experiences. Right. And totally worth it. Totally worth it. I, I've always been an advocate of spend your money on experiences and not things. Like you can spend $300 on a sweater, but like by next season, will you remember that sweater? Like unlikely. Mm -hmm. You could spend $300 on a cave hotel and a hot air balloon ride, and you will probably remember that for the rest of your life. Yeah. So, yeah. And and back to your point about the budget. Yes, I profited off of my house. Uh, I did stretch my money as much as I could, and I, I think I told you I broke it up a little bit. You know, with the points, I stayed at five-star hotels, but in some countries, I stayed in a hostel. I stayed in a hostel where there was, like, no running water during the day, and I had to, like, literally, like, go get a bucket, scoop out seawater, and, like, put it in the toilet to be able to use the restroom during the day. 
So Ooh. I really did a mix of, you know, hostels, hotels, Airbnbs. Um, I had some friends along the way that I stayed with. I had a colleague um, from, from years ago who lived in Chile, stayed with him and his family for a couple nights. So it was a mix of luxury and budget. Where I could cut back, I would. And then, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I may never do this again. I'm not going to not do something because I feel like, oh, I'll feel bad that I spent the money. No, I spent it. Right. Well, you had it. Yeah. So you spent it. Yep. And then, and also, you're not completely by yourself all the time. Like if you're in the cave hotel and you're talking to someone at, at the restaurant for right. dinner, and they want to go do the balloon thing or whatever you're mm-hmm. going to do, then you, can you do go that with, with them. them. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, what percentage of your time would you have someone like that, either that came with you or that you were talking to, that just happened to be on the trip with you? Um, have maybe like forty or fifty percent of the time. Did you feel lonely at all? Not really. Um, I enjoy being alone, and so there were there were a couple of times where I felt a little bit lonely because it's like the time change. Everyone I know is at home and asleep, and there's nobody around me. There was a couple times, but really, like maybe like three times, four times, very minimal feeling of loneliness. Mm-hmm. You, you were telling me this story the other night, though. What was the airport that you got into late at night, and it was oh, a little God. bit of a weird one? Jesus, yeah. <laughs> So the Kathmandu airport. So I had flown from Bangkok to Kuala Lumpur, Kuala Lumpur to um, Kathmandu. Kathmandu is the capital of Nepal. I wanted to go and see Mount Everest. Climb Mount Everest? No. See it? Yes. Um, So I flew in. And if you ever read anything about the Kathmandu airport, it is just like a circus. There's one runway it's like they land and come in on this one runway. You have to like circle forever. It's super disorganized. Like the whole thing is like, how is this airport like even functioning? So we get in, my flight is delayed by several hours. Um, I had booked a hotel downtown Kathmandu. I'd never been to Nepal. I didn't know much about it. I didn't know much about the culture. I had a phone. Uh, T-Mobile has unlimited service in 140 countries. Nepal was not one of those countries. So my phone wasn't going to work there. Uh, we were super late, super delayed. By the time we landed, got through our luggage, did immigration because you have to get a visa on arrival. It was probably, it was after midnight. Maybe I was supposed to probably arrive around five or six in the evening. Mm-hmm. And the hotel was supposed to send someone to get me. But I mean, it was like seven hours later for all they knew I didn't come. So it was super late. It was dark. Um, there was tons of people like standing outside the airport doors, like trying to give you a taxi ride. I didn't know where I was, like as far as like location, like I couldn't pull up my phone and map myself. Like I didn't know how far I was. From where are you in relation to the hotel? Right, exactly. I mean, I knew where I was in the world. Like I knew it was in Kathmandu, <laughs> but like I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> you had a globe. You could yeah, point. Yeah, you could exactly. Yeah. But I didn't know that, and so um, I was a little. I, I was, this was one of the times I was scared because turn on my phone, no service. Uh, Sorry, did I mess something up here? Okay. Turn on my phone, no service. Super late. Um, There's nobody, there's not, like, there's nobody there that looks like they can help me. Like, everybody's, like, local. There aren't any other, like, tourists that I can latch on to. Hey, can you help me out? So I end up going up to this, this, desk. I don't remember what, if it was a help desk or what, it probably wasn't a help desk. Um, but I said, this is the number of my hotel. Can you please call them and tell them to send my taxi? So they called. And you're saying that in English. In English, right. And I don't speak Nepalese. And they luckily understood. Right. Yeah. Like showed them the phone number, called them, they hand the phone to me. I said, hi, this is Whitney. I'm very late. I'm sorry. Um, but can you please send the taxi? And they said, oh, it's like way too late. Our taxi driver went home. Like you just have to take a taxi from the airport. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm kind of nervous. I've never done that. Like there's a million people trying to flag me down to they're like, just get a, like a taxi from the, uh, the airport. And I was like, okay. So I went to this airport, like official quote unquote airport taxi stand where I paid like 
$30 for a taxi ride, which in Nepal should have probably cost about like 18 cents. Um, and then they drove me and it was dark and the, it was kind of like a rickety old taxi. And, you know, this was also short, not, not too long after Kathmandu had had a big earthquake. So I think the infrastructure, the country itself is still developing. Plus the infrastructure wasn't there because of the earthquake. So everything was just kind of a disaster. He takes me to the hotel and I'm just like, oh, I'm so lucky that like, I was so scared in the car. All I had to do is hope and pray that this guy was going to take me to the hotel and I'd get there. And just he did. That he really was who he really said he was. Yep. And when you say it cost you $30, you're not paying American dollars, are you? You had to convert money or... Right. I had to go to the ATM and get out local Nepalese currency. And at the airport, there was like a limit on how much currency you could take out at a time. It was like posted on there. So I think I literally had to give him like all the Nepalese money that I had, like in my wallet. I was like, this is everything I have that I could get out of the ATM. And is that how you did your money the whole time? Use your ATM card and get cash out and pay and for the most part, yeah, for the most part. I had a Charles Schwab. They have a really great international bank account. Actually, I think it's just their regular checking account, Um, and they don't charge any fees on international transactions and ATM. So I would take out as much cash as I thought I would spend while I was in that country. And take it out and then, you know, keep it in the safe at wherever I was and then use that cash mm-hmm. while I was there. And then Schwab would refund me at the end of the month. And sometimes it was like 60 or 70 bucks they were refunding me on ATM fees. For hotels and flights, I always use credit cards to maximize points and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't use like my debit card or things like that. I mostly tried to use cash. Yeah, it's interesting now how, how you can just stick your card in a machine, put your number in and yep. tell it what you want. It mm-hmm. just spits the money out. Right. Um, so I guess we kind of skipped pretty far into your itinerary. We skipped <laughs> over a lot of places. Um, Namibia? Yeah, Namibia was amazing. So I, I picked that country for two reasons. One, it's the, I believe it's the second least populated country in the world, which I thought this is great. There's so, going to be so few people there. This sounds uh-huh. wonderful. Um, and then two, the Namib Desert is the oldest desert in the world. I'm, I really love deserts. I don't know why. It's just great. They're beautiful. They're so they're so dead, but they're so alive at the same time, if that makes sense. So I went to the Namib. I saw the Susufle, which is like the the clay pan where all the all the trees are basically like they're like solidified in time. It's so dry they can't decay. So I did that. I did, so they're dead trees, but they like can't die because it's too dry. If that makes any sense at all. Well, they don't have leaves on them. They're right, like they're not growing. They're no, just, they're just a. They're just there. They're just a dead tree. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Dried completely yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Where do you stay when you're at a place like that? Is there a is there a deluxe hotel where you look at the dead trees? <laughs> the deluxe dead tree hotel. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's the one I stayed at. Actually, no. Um, I did it. I signed up for a desert safari. Um, so this, it, I, I flew into Windhoek, which is the capital city, which is like population five. Um, stayed at a hotel there. The next morning, some guy comes in like this pickup Toyota pickup truck uh, picks up me and then another woman from Japan and drives us out to the desert for like three or four hours like no idea where we're going like we don't really stop it's just desert like as far Mm -hmm. as the eye can see Um, and for some reason he thought I was German even though I kept saying I speak English so he would look at me speak German and then look at my Japanese friend who who I became friends with obviously and speak to her in English and I was like no it's cool like you can talk to me in English too he just thought I was German I I don't Mm -hmm. know where the miscommunication was on that but um they drop you off and it's kind of these um like these I don't want to say huts 
I don't want to say, I don't know what they are, but they're like little hotel rooms that are out in the middle of the Namib and they just drop you off and that's where you're staying and that's, that's what you do. You stay there and there's like, there's maybe 10 of them and there's like an innkeeper and a couple of people that work there and that's it. And, I and they do, have meals. They yeah. feed you, you. Obviously you're not walking to a restaurant. <laughs> there's no restaurant. No, yeah. they're like, oh, we're going to kill this wildebeest and eat it. No, um, no, they feed you three meals a day and they give you drinks and water and that you can shower and stuff like that. Um. And yeah, that's to do. But I was like, the first night I got there, I totally had like culture shock and lost it. Like totally was like, this is where, this is where we're staying. There's nothing here. We're in the middle of nowhere. I was like crying. And you're going to be there for how many days? Like, Three days? Four I think days? It was four days, some four or five days. In the middle of nowhere Literally with in the nothing. middle of nowhere, yeah. And they were like, well, ma'am, like this is what you signed up for. Like, didn't you know? And I was like, no, this is, I know, but this is what I thought it would be. And then there was a huge spider that I saw. And I was like, this well, is horrible. Well, talk about the next four days then. How, how did they play out and what was rewarding about it? So by the next morning, I got up and I had gotten over myself. And I was like, all right, cool, we're here, we're doing this. So the, every morning, since it's the desert, you know, it's like a hundred and billion degrees. So you have to get up really early, which I'm not a morning person. So that was also an, an experience. They call you at 4 a.m. You get up, they feed you breakfast, and then you get in one of these like African tour safari vans. And then they drive you out to different things to see. Like one day we did the dunes and the clay pan. One day we drove out to an area where we could see zebra and warthogs and animals. So it was a desert safari. It wasn't like a gaming safari. So we weren't going to be seeing like lions mm -hmm. and tigers and things like that. So one day we did like, you know, we got to see herds of zebras and things like that. Another day we went to some canyon. Um, so it was just kind of every day you went and did all these tasks. And then you were usually done by like one or two because then it's too hot. And then you go back to your room. You go back to your room that you have lunch there or you have lunch out and about when you're doing stuff with your guys. Mm -hmm. Everyone takes a nap. Uh, which I love napping, so that, that was great. One, one to three, five, four in the afternoon time, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. you're taking a nap. Did they have air conditioning in the rooms? They no. did. They did. God bless them, they mm -hmm. did, because it was so hot. They had air conditioning. And then you'd get up, and you'd have dinner, and you'd kind of sit. And there, there there was only Wi-Fi, like, in one, like, square foot of the entire place. You'd have to, like, mm -hmm. stand there to post your photos to Instagram. But the rest is, like, you're just unplugged. You know, you just sit around, you talk with the other guests, you have dinner. They cooked... Um, Oryx, which is like a local animal. So you just kind of chilled out like in this unplugged zone. And how many other people were staying at this place where, where you were? Um, so I went at the end of season, apparently. I didn't know that at the time. But there were four people there staying there. So it's a small group <laughs> with not a lot to do for those times. So you could really... Did, and did you... Did you take books to read, or what were you doing with that that time? I downloaded, so I really wanted to minim, minimize the things I brought with me, so I downloaded a bunch of iBooks on my mm -hmm. iPhone. So during the downtime, I would read on my phone, but really by the end of the day, I was so tired, like from all the stuff that we did and being out and about, and like, I would go to bed at like nine, because they'd be calling you to get up at four, so. And then you'd, you'd be writing blog entries yeah. as mm -hmm. well, which people can look at. Yep. At your blog. At my blog, highheelsandalaptop.com. I wrote a couple on Namibia about how I like freaked out and um, all those things. Namibia is probably probably one of my funnier blogs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Mauritius. I'm not sure I understand yeah. Mauritius. What is Mauritius like? Mauritius is an island. In, it's considered in Africa. It's off the east coast of Madagascar. So if you fly past, if you're flying like from South Africa over Madagascar, you'll land in Mauritius. I believe it's like a French colony or it was something with the French mm -hmm. at some time my my history is failing me but it's a, it's a beautiful island with these like amazing beaches and clear waters and just a total like honeymoon destination and I just kind of hung out I stayed used my points uh mm -hmm. for I stayed at the Lay Meridian 
and used all my points, got upgraded to a, like a presidential suite, which had two levels, like a kitchen. And I just stayed there and went to the beach. I went swimming with the dolphins. They take you on these like little kind of, I don't want to say rickshaw boats, but I don't even know how to say it. They like put you in these boats, you go out and they just drive you out to the Indian Ocean. They're like, oh, there's the dolphins, jump in, swim with them. So that's what I did there. I, I, I swam in the Indian Ocean. I was crying, of course. Like, I don't want to act like I was brave. Like, I was crying. I was so scared. But then one of the Mauritian guys grabbed my arm, jumped in with me, like, held my hand. And then I put the goggles on and I was able to see the dolphins and you're with them. And it was, that was an incredible experience. But that was more of, like, beach and chilling and, like, just, you know, experiencing an mm -hmm. amazing... So you're kind of doing everything. You're seeing these historical places yeah. in Istanbul. Mm -hmm. You're out in the middle of nothing, nowhere in the <laughs> desert. And then you're on a kind of a resort honeymoon vacation. Yeah, honeymoon with myself, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're not going to obviously be able to talk about every place that you visited, but but now we're on our way into Panama and mm -hmm. Central South America. Yeah, what we're talk, talk about some of the highlights there. So one of a couple of the highlights of Central America were I, I stayed at this hostel in Costa Rica. It was called. Oh, I'm sorry, I forget the name of it. It'll come to me. But I stayed at this amazing hostel in Costa Rica. That was one of the places where I felt like, okay, I can cut back and save money. Room to board. Room to board was the name of this hostel. It was directly on the beach, and it was also a surf school. I in, do you remember where in Costa Rica? Haco. Just... Haco, uh, and it's spelled J-A-C-O, which is funny because I was trying to get on the bus to Jocko, and nobody knew what I was talking about because I flew into San Juan, and I was like, where's the bus to Jocko? And everyone's like, there's no such thing. And I'm like, no, it's here on a map. And they're like, And That's... then you show it written down. And they're and like, it's oh, Haco. And I, like, and I also speak Spanish, so like you would think I would have figured that mm. out, but I didn't. Um, so like took like a, a bus there, got there, got to this hostel. It was this amazing hostel. Um, they had great food. They had a pool. They like partied every night right on this beach. I took a surf lesson, which I promptly disliked. I fell off the board and then went and sat on the beach and watched everybody else. Cause I was like, this is too hard. Um, that was awesome. I met a couple other people there. I met, um, a girl named Mary and a girl named Daniela, um, from England and, Germany and Mary and I still talk to this day. We, we just got along mm -hmm. and we became friends and hung out and that was an, just an awesome experience. And then I went on to Panama, took this bus called the Tika bus from Costa Rica to Panama, which was a, an experience. Let me tell you, like doing border crossing at Panama, they like put you all like in this like unair conditioned room and like go through your bags for like three hours while everyone's like, is this a panic room? Like what's Are they happening? looking for for drugs? I, I or, think, or... I don't know. I think so. Who and it's like all these like European people taking the Tika bus and me and they're like, we don't have anything. Get to Panama. I go. I play. Go to this place called Boca del Toro, where this is the hostel. I stayed on an island where there's no running water during the day, so you just like fill your toilet uh -huh. water. Then um, went to Panama City. One of my really good friends flew to Panama City to meet me there, so we could kind of go out and party. She came down for three days and uh, got super sick over drinking one night. Threw up in a in a sink, and was, the water wasn't running, so she had to like mop it out of the sink. Oh. <laughs> Well, that's nice. How was the Panama Canal? <laughs> You're just like, let's skip over that. Yeah. So we did. So we stayed up that whole night, partied all night, like literally the whole night. And then we had booked a private tour to the Panama Canal to see everything. So the next morning, we're hungover. I'd mm. obviously had a rough night. This Our, our guide, I don't know, I forget his name. 
picked us up. We were just hot messes. Took us to the Panama Canal. That was amazing. Just amazing architecture. I don't know if people know this, but the, the ships actually go over land. These locks. Mm -hmm. You come into a lock, it fills up. You go into the next lock. Like you're literally bringing ships over, over land. Over land. It's, a, it's not a mountain, but it's like a hill. Yeah. You go up and yeah. then you go back down to the other side. Yeah, yeah no, that's the whole point of yeah, it. And yeah, and you're watching it and you're like, this is amazing. Like, and it's amazing that people built it. And so many people died building that. But it's just mm. like, just the amazing architecture and engineering that went into that. So the Panama Canal was awesome. So we did that. And then after that, went down to uh, South America, did Peru and Machu Picchu. Probably some of the best food of my life was in Peru. If you go to Peru and just eat, you, you, you've done your job. Did you take ayahuasca? <clears throat> I did not. I did not. I actually like, this is, sounds so boring, but I like, I don't drink or do drugs. I mean, obviously I was drinking in Panama. Yeah. Well, Hey, time out for a second. <laughs> I was drinking. I don't, I don't, I don't. So you'll have a cocktail and sometimes you have too many cocktails, but it's not your thing. Right. Exactly. So many of the nights on this trip, I'm assuming then you just would not have any drinks. Right. I would have zero drinks. And so ayahuasca, well, ayahuasca, <laughs> they associate that more. I associate it more with a kind of a spiritual journey into yourself than a, than a party. I don't think it's a party. I don't think <laughs> you take an ayahuasca to party. <laughs> Or if you do, you've made a mistake. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to go that far into myself. Like, I feel like I'd come out, like, in worse shape, so. Yeah. You're young. you got plenty of time <laughs> to do that later if you decide you if want I just, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah, um, well, you got your head on straight, in, in my opinion, with this, <laughs> this trip to make this decision that you made and to take this trip. I, I just, I, that's why I wanted to talk to you, and that's what I hope people are listening are getting inspired and saying to themselves, look, I want to go and do some of that. And I, I, anyway, so where are we now? We're still in Peru. We get down to Peru. I did Machu Picchu. That was amazing. Um, I had an old friend from Germany who lived in Arequipa, which is a small city in Peru. I went and stayed with her and her family for a night. So generous. So amazing. They like, their daughter gave me a gift and they took me around the city and we went to this amazing market. Uh, it's just a real, you know, to get those kind of like cultural experiences, mm -hmm. um, did that. I took a bus from there to Chile because going from Peru to Chile isn't that easy, like unless you're flying directly to Santiago and I wasn't. So I took a bus. Um, the bus story is kind of funny. Do we have time for the bus story? Yes, okay. So we get on this bus and it's it, to get from Southern Peru um, to Northern Chile. So I was going to, yet again, I was going to another desert. My, my next destination was the Atacama Desert in Chile, which like, I don't know if you remember that movie with Antonio Banderas where the people got stuck in the mine for like 30 days and they lived. I remember the story. I didn't yeah, see the movie. Yeah, that was in the Atacama Desert. So that's where I was going. And there's no really easy way to get there. And you have to take all these buses and there's a lot of transfers and it's very confusing and nothing is well marked. But I figure it out. I get there. Um, we, we get in the bus. We're, we're, we're going down. Of course, all, all, all these are on air conditioned, just so everybody knows. We're in the desert and on air conditioned. Mm -hmm. And you sweat a lot. And I sweat a lot. So let everybody know I sweat a lot. So this was really uncomfortable. And then we have to do this random stop for fruit flies. I don't know why, but apparently fruit flies are not a problem in Chile, but they are in Peru. And Chile has really got their fruit fly barrier well, up pretty we high. we have that in California. When you come into California, you have to throw away all your fruit. Okay. Okay. So maybe, yeah, but that was my first time experiencing a fruit fly only stop. Mm -hmm. um, so we get off the bus in Peru and everybody, you have to walk through, they check your stuff, make sure you're not bringing in fruit flies. 
Um, and then I, I was confused because I didn't know what was going on. It was literally this shack on the side of the road. And all I was seeing was this video in Spanish about fruit flies. Like, but I wasn't grasping what we were doing. So then I asked the guy, like, what do I do? What do I do? And he's like, just sit down, just sit down. So I'm just like sitting. And then I opened the box of chocolates from my friend in Arequipa. And I'm just like eating chocolate. Like it's melting. And then crap, my bus left. Like my bus is no longer there. I'm like in a shack in the desert. It left while you're getting inspected, but there's other people yeah, from no, the bus I, that are getting inspected. Yeah, they all got inspected and he told me to sit. So I thought I was waiting like my turn for something while everybody else was going. Like I didn't understand that I, that I was done and I could go. Like he didn't make that clear he to me. He just meant relax. You're finished. You can relax. Right. And I, t- I understood oh, that no. as like, you need to sit down for a moment. We have questions about. So the now you're life. in the shack and the bus is going. Yeah, and so then I, like, I'm like, oh, my God, my bus is gone. So then I, like, grab my, I was like, screw the guy. Like, grab my bag, running down this, like, desert street, and I see the bus pulled over. And I was like, oh, good, all right, good. They know they forgot me. Thank God, okay. And I'm talking middle of nowhere. No cell phone service. There's the two Mm -hmm. people checking the fruit flies where they live. I don't know. Um, And then they come back, and the bus driver sees me, and he's, like, waving. I'm, like, running down with my, dragging my suitcase, running down. He starts yelling at me in Spanish, like, I'm apologizing, and he was saying in Spanish, I'll do the English translation, he's like, somebody said we left the gringa at the station, like, we have a schedule, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm obviously a gringa, I don't know what's going on. We get on, and like, everybody in the bus is like, giving me like, the evil eye, like, you know, and I sit down, and I'm like, all quiet, and I have my box of chocolates, and this lady taps me on the shoulder, and, and she tells me in Spanish, my, my husband told the driver that we left the gringa left the gringa behind and I was like oh my god thank you so much for saving me I appreciate it and I looked at the guy and he like nodded like they were like well it was very obvious you're the only white person on the bus and you were not back on the bus so um so then I like passed my chocolates around everybody and by the end we were friends so I made it so I got through so I get to Chile um I didn't realize there was a two-hour time change when you cross the border missed my next bus had to stay a night in another city Finally end up in the Atacama Desert two days later. I make it there, have an amazing time, go to the salt flats, do all these other cool things you do in the Atacama Desert, like the Valley of the Moon, which is supposed to look like the moon or Mars. Um, Met some fun people. Like there's these salt flats that you can like swim in, did that. And then flew down to Santiago from there, met my old friend from work. Santiago is an amazing city if you get a chance to go to South America awesome city. I had like amazing sushi there, which you don't expect. His family took me to their beach house on a small city called Viña del Mar. Had an amazing time there. Went to Argentina. My cousin flew down to Buenos Aires to meet, to meet me. So you do have people coming to visit you and this is all yeah. still before we've met. Right. This is all before we met. So we haven't even met yet. Oh yeah. I went down before my cousin Argentina went down to Patagonia, went to Ushuaia, which is the last Stop. Last city before Antarctica. I was trying to get on a last minute Antarctic cruise. That so this happen. is Chile goes down to Tierra del Fuego almost. Right, right? exactly. So Patagonia is a region that covers both um, uh, Argentina and Chile. I went on the Argentine side because you, at the time, you had to pay a $160 visa to get into Argentina. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm going to go on the Argentine side to get the value out of my out of my visa. Uh, a week later, Obama came down and met with their current president and eliminated that. So I missed it by a week. Mm. Um, yeah, did Patagonia, met my cousin. And then um, speaking of safety, so then we went to Uruguay. My cousin and I went to Uruguay. And then, you know, you asked me about how staying safe and things like that. That that was the only time that one bad thing happened to me in Uruguay. I was robbed in Uruguay. And, you know, they got away with my cell phone and like 50 bucks. And what was the, what was the 
how long did it last and what was it like? It all happened in a moment. Um, my cousin and I were walking in broad daylight in the capital city of Montevideo. So it's daytime and you're not alone. Right. Right in front of our hotel in a nicer area of town. Mm -hmm. Montevideo is not a... It's a nice city in general. Right. Um, someone... It was two guys on a motorcycle. One jumped off. I had an over-the-shoulder purse, which is what you should have. He ripped the purse off of me. Like, very violently ripped the purse. Got back on the motorcycle and drove away. So that, and it all happened in like 15 seconds, maybe not even 15 seconds. So there's no confrontation, there's no, no. threat of violence, there's just like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, and it was Your just like, what happened? Gone. My purse is gone, yeah. And a bystander song called the police, and I was able to make a report, and I had travel insurance, so my travel insurance reimbursed me for my phone and my purse and all that, so. But how hard was it then to get your phone replaced and cards and all that to be able to resume your trip? <laughs> Well, luckily all I had, so I always, I have one rule when you're going out, whether you're alone or with other people, always carry an ID with you because you never know what could happen just to be safe. I had my, my Colorado driver's license in there with me. Um, so I had my license, my phone, and then I didn't have, I had cash. I didn't have any bank cards or anything. So mm -hmm. I was fine with that. Um, I had to, the, I had another form of ID, which was my passport, but I was a little nervous that I didn't have another ID besides my license. Getting my second Colorado license while you were overseas was a pain. I ended up getting that done. The cell phone thing was interesting because I had an iPhone 6 and there's no Apple store in Uruguay or Argentina. So I had to wait until I got to New Zealand to get a new phone and mm -hmm. then my insurance company reimbursed me. So it wasn't too much of a hassle, but being without a phone for a few days was kind of annoying. And so then you're off to New Zealand. I've been to New Zealand many times. Where did you go in New Zealand? Um, Auckland. I only did Auckland, which everyone's like, oh, you should have done so much more. I just felt like I didn't have the time, and I was so tired by the time I got there. I just wanted to hang out in Auckland. Well, if you ever want to go have a great vacation where you can see some amazing natural beauty, I, I, I feel like now having been to Iceland as well and driven all the way around Iceland and camped, I, I think that you're having, you can see a lot of similar but not the same kind of terrain and sites and and the culture is completely different in in uh, New Zealand but New Zealand is just a great place to spend a month I think mm -hmm. easily easily so, so then you're in Auckland and then you go on to Australia where did you go in Australia I only went to Melbourne so which is where we met which is we where met we met her. yep and you and this great ocean road trip that was my only tourist <laughs> thing that I did while I was there right but what a spectacular day. And just that 12 apostles that you see at the yeah, end. Amazing. And, and so we hadn't really talked on the whole. It's hours of stopping and looking at a beach and stopping at the Great Ocean Road and taking pictures. And then, then you see the 12 apostles. There's three or four stops there. And they tell you some stories about right. shipwrecks and whatnot. So we didn't even meet until it's dark and we're on the deadhead six-hour drive back yeah. to Melbourne. <laughs> Exactly. But uh, if you ever do go to Melbourne and you get a chance to go to the Twelve Apostles, please, it's well, I, in my opinion, it was well worth it. Right. Trip. Did you enjoy that day? That was an, that was probably the best day that I had in Melbourne. So Melbourne, I was, I had spent a lot of time in developing countries. I was kind of excited to be in a developed country. So I did things like recite, you know, got rid of all my nasty clothes, bought some new clothes, ate some nice restaurants, did a, like a, just non, not a lot of super touristy things. I did the sanctuary to go see the kangaroos and stuff. But that day trip that we took was by far and away the highlight of Melbourne. Like, I feel like if that was the only experience I ever get in Australia, that was enough. Like, I know there's so many things there, but it was just so breathtaking. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll we'll talk after I get back from this trip that I'm going to take because I'm going to get to go to Perth. And, and I've been to Sydney before, but I'm going to do some of those, those things there. But yeah, I thought so too. And it, it was a very... 
you know, people go on vacations. They're like, well, I don't want to do a touristy thing. And this was, you're on a bus with right. other tourists all day mm-hmm. and getting off and getting on. But, you know, to not have to rent a car and do that long of a drive and book a hotel to be able to see what we saw. I mean, as touristy thing go, things go, it was, I, I feel sorry for someone who wouldn't go on that because right. they thought it was touristy. That was like a light version of a touristy thing. It was just a day trip. It wasn't like a commitment. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah, a day trip. Yeah. And then also, I mean, you and I are Americans. We drive on the right side. So driving on the left just seems very daunting to do that all mm-hmm. day and all night. So having that taken care of was nice. Um, I have to, I, I want to tell you uh, my perspective of us meeting. Cause what you were saying is, yes, we met towards the end and we were on our way back and we stopped for dinner and, and our, our driver who was, he was a character to say the least. Um, <laughs> well, he's got to talk and tell the story. He's the, he's the guide and the driver. He was everything. And your caretaker and everything. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, you have to have a personality that's built for that. And he, yeah. and he definitely had a kind of a banter thing. Going. Yeah, exactly. So on our way back. Um, and up until this time, I thought I was the only American on the bus at this time. And he's like, we have, um, we have an American, like, uh, I don't know if he called you a celebrity or a, a, somebody famous or whatever. What did well, you remember? I had got on the bus. Usually I don't tell people I'm a comedian, but it, 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 that's kind of gone sort of wrong in the sense that the longer you try and hide it, the more weird it starts to seem. So <laughs> I've, I've learned that it's just better to just tell people at the beginning and then a- answer whatever silly questions they have. And so I had, I was one of the first people on the bus. And since I was by myself, I got to sit in the seat next to the, it's not right next to him, but it's on the other side of the bus from where the steering wheel is right in the front. And so I'm now, I'm isolated from the other passengers in that sense, but I've got an A number one seat out the window to see where we're driving. But I'm also the guy that he can talk to when he's not talking on the mic to everyone else on the bus. So he's getting information about me and we're having a little bit of a friendly relationship Mm -hmm. during the day. So yeah, that's going on. And he must have said something about that. And so, and and so you were picked up first. I, that was another place I stayed at a hostel. So I was picked up last. I think I was the only person at the hostel that they picked up because they stopped and it was me and there was no seats. I think I was at the very back of the bus, but so on the way back, um, I, I, he said, Oh, we have an American on board and he's, he's famous or he's a slur. I don't remember. I don't remember the words. But at the time, I was I was blogging, and I was really trying to hope that my blog would take off. And I did get a lot of viewership, and I was hoping that if my blog became a source of income and it became a job, that I would go that direction. I love my current career, but I said, if that happens, I'll go with it. But I also wasn't making it a priority. I was traveling first, blog second. And, I, and in my head, I was like... Oh, I'm the only American on this bus. Like, has somebody seen my blog? Like, is he talking about me? Oh, no. <laughs> Literally, I think he's talking about me. And I'm sitting in the back of the bus and I was like, oh, I'm getting notoriety. Like, I can't believe this is happening. And then he's like, we have a comedian, like Jake Johansson. And I was like, oh, oh, it's it's not me. Okay. All right. Brought myself back down to earth. And then I just had to like laugh in my head. And then we get off. And then, like I said, you and I... We go to the grocery store, and I said, oh, you're the other American, blah, 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 and we get talking about our trip, and I should have taken your advice. I wanted the Tim Tams, and he had recommended a, a better kind of Tim Tam. That I had recommended You them, did, yeah. yeah. You were like, I said, I'm here. I have to get the Tim Tams, and you said, oh, there's different flavors. Get this flavor. It, it tastes like a like a Twix or something, and I was like, no, no, no. I have to get the original. Like, I ha- you know, like, I want to stick to it, and I really should have listened to you because they weren't, they weren't that great. Yeah, the one I can't remember the ones, but the ones that I like have caramel in the middle. They're the ones you want. 
in right. my opinion. And I, and I was but, so, yeah. But I get it. I couldn't fight. I wasn't going to fight. We just met. Yeah. <laughs> I, you were like, uh, you seemed like you knew what you were doing. You were on this amazing trip. I was like, yeah, go for it. Well, and I should have, and I was so caught up in the Tim Tam thing that when you said, I'm going to grab a bottle of wine, I thought, oh, okay, great. I didn't have the opportunity to tell you I'm allergic to red wine. Grab the white wine. And so then as we're walking back, you're opening it and you start pouring it. And I said, oh, I'm allergic to red wine. You're like, are you lying to me to avoid drinking with me? And I said, no, I swear this is a true story. Like, I lo- I'm sorry. I was so caught up with the Tim Tams. I should have told you, get white instead of red. So he ended up having to drink all by himself on I'm the way I'm sitting back. in the front seat of the bus next to the driver drinking wine out of a bottle. It's in a... Well, was it in a I bottle had, or did, you, did we get I Dixie had, cups? I had some plastic cups, but once the bus was moving... The only way to really drink it was to take the cap off and drink out of the yeah. bottle in the pl- in the paper bag. So it was a little bit sad. It was a little bit of a sad <laughs> drive home. And also then everybody's getting dropped off the bus and now I've got a little bit of a wine buzz and it's one in the morning. And anyway, so that was it. That was my, that was our I didn't mean to make you drink alone. It was that was not the intention. Well, so now now we're getting into part of the world that I'm going to be on on this trip. Talk about Southeast Asia and Thailand and uh, before we get to we've already talked about Nepal, but talk about Southeast Asia yeah. and Thailand. So you said you're going to Bangkok. I've been there. Um, Bangkok's amazing. The food is amazing. It's this totally chaotic yet creative city that runs 24 hours a day. So I I don't know what your schedule is going to be like there, but get out as much as you can. Like, see what you can. There's amazing temples. Eat all the pad thai. Eat the street food. Take the risk. Eat the street food. Yes. Eat the street food. I'm telling you, take... Well, you have to Did you get any kind of traveler explosions? Um, Well, besides the Panama, and I did throw up in India because it smelled so bad. Um, But no, I took... um, I don't even know if I should say this, but I I took doxycycline my entire trip for malaria. So doxycycline can be taken um, for several things, and one of them is against malaria. So I just... In talking to my doctor, I was going to be in and out of so many malaria zones. She's like, just take it the whole trip. So she gave mm. me enough for like, literally, like I had like a year's supply of doxycycline in my bag that nobody at Customs ever asked about. Um, so I took that every day, but I also read that it can also prevent, since it's a, a, an antibiotic, it can prevent foodborne illnesses. Right. I don't know if that's entirely true, but I ate street food my entire trip and didn't get sick one time. So I felt like... Amazing. Yeah. So I don't know if you want some doxycycline, maybe talk to your doctor about it. I just went to the travel (laughs) doctor and she had said, look, you're you're probably, because you're going to big cities and we're not staying for that long, we're only going to be in places for a couple of days. Singapore, Singapore, uh, I think we're going to be there for a little bit longer. Is, Is that... Let me look back at my itinerary. We're going to be one. We're going to be somewhere for a few more days, but it's one of those places where, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's, you have to, it's Singapore, and Singapore it's is fine. like you can fine, yeah. drink the water and have yeah. sex with the locals. You yeah. can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, I yes. can't. I can't because I'm married. But you that can't. that was no. the other. Okay, so that's that's great. And then and then we're on to India, which I let's talk a little bit about India. I've been to Iceland. I I know about that, and I've, we've already I've touched on that. And Ibiza, that's back in another honeymoon kind of a trip, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about India, <laughs> and then um, and then tell me about uh, tell me about your travel. You're gone for how long total? Was it a year? Or? It was almost a year. Yeah, it's almost a year. You're gone for almost a year. Let's talk about India, and then let's talk about. Uh, we've established that you're not gay. So relations <laughs> with the opposite sex. Did you meet some opposite sex people? Did you uh, enjoy their company? First India, then that. This is a teaser because we're right at an hour. People are probably thinking, look, I've got shit to do. Maybe I'm not going to listen to the rest of this. And what I'm saying is maybe there's some sex. 
But first, maybe there is, and there is. First, there is some sex. But first, India vomiting. Okay. First vomiting, and then sex. Okay, perfect. So India was totally not on my itinerary. India was not a place that I really had desired to go. It just never really struck out. Well, I'm going on tour with Russell Peters, who's Canadian Indian. And Indian, yes. And we are going to have this leg of the trip is, is as I just said at the beginning of the show. Then we've got another leg of the trip after that. We'll go home for a month, and then we're going to the UK and Europe. And then after that, I think later in the year, assuming that I haven't made any mistakes, uh, I'll be included on the trip to India. So it wasn't on your itinerary, but I'm going to go there. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to India, but I hear it's intense. There's a lot of well, humanity. Everything. Everything is intense about India. So I wasn't planning to go. I was actually already back in Europe. I was in Malta. Um, I was there for a week just enjoying Malta and the views and the this and the that and the gelato, living the dream, catching up on blogs. And my friend, one of my long-term friends, uh, Tamara, she has to go to Mumbai periodically for work. She also works in, in uh, project management software type stuff. She texts me. She's like, hey, uh, I'm going to be in India for the next three weeks. Do you want to come meet me? And I was like, oh, India wasn't on my list. I don't want to get a visa. And then I thought about it and I said, you know what? This is never going to happen again. You're married now. You have kids. We're never going to have a chance to do something like this. I said, fine, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to Mumbai. I will meet you in Delhi. And it takes five days to get the tourist visa. I had exactly five days got the tourist visa, flew to Delhi, met her, and it's just like immediately you're overwhelmed. Like, the, And we went in, it was in June, I think, May or June, mm -hmm. so it was like 110 degrees. The heat is overwhelming. The smell is overwhelming. There's so many people. The pollution. I mean, everything is intense. And what's so funny about this is I think that was probably my maybe my 55th country, somewhere along that line. So by this time, I'd been to a lot of places, and I felt like culture shock isn't something that I experienced that much. So Tamara met me with one of her colleagues. They flew in from Mumbai. We all met at the airport. We get to the hotel, and I'm the one having a meltdown. I'm, like, crying. I'm, like, this What's is... What's your so hotel like? Oh, we so we stayed at the Hyatt Place. Nice. Uh, with, with, with points. We stayed at the Hyatt Place in um in Delhi and it wasn't it wasn't what you and I would consider a nice Hyatt. Like you and I probably are like, oh there's Hyatts and there's Hyatts in, in India. Um but in by the by the end of the by the end of our time in in Delhi we were referring it to as the Hyatt Palace. We mm -hmm. thought it was so nice by the end of it because we were like uh -huh. this is the best thing in all of India is this hotel. Uh -huh. Um so the whole thing was overwhelming. Um I, we were driving we booked a, a private tour to go see the Taj Mahal because the Taj Mahal is in Agra. Agra, Delhi is the closest city, but you have to drive forever to get there. And there's like an express road and then there's like the, like you take your camel kind of road. So we booked a trip. They pick us up at three o'clock in the morning and we start driving. And I'm just feeling sick just like from the smell. So we pull over, I'm throwing up on the street. We get to a gas station. I'm throwing up in the trash can there. My friend's taking snaps. From the smell. You from haven't smell. eaten anything haven't bad. I haven't eaten anything. But it's like driving around. And it's just, is it a vomity smell? Or is just, it an excrement it's, smell? It's just or is the it India a... smell. I don't even know how to describe it. It's all of the above. Yeah, yeah. And I feel so bad to the Indian people listening to this because they probably think I'm just... Well, you're just not used to it. It's 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 yeah. not being used to something. That's right. the problem. Yeah, exactly. And like, I have so many colleagues that are Indians that are wonderful people. And I'm sorry if you're offended by this. It's not the point. So anyway, I'm throwing up. We finally get there. We're supposed to get there by sunrise, and we see the Taj Mahal, and it's amazing. The whole thing is amazing. Like the just the the engineering that went behind it, the story behind it, everything, and. We spent the whole day touring the grounds, you know, seeing all these extra things. We had this really excited guide. This guy mm -hmm. was more excited than our guide in Melbourne. Told us everything. I mean, it was amazing to see the Taj Mahal with one of my long-term friends and then getting these photos. And 
So that was really an experience to go to the Taj Mahal. And I say, if you are going to go to India, go do that. Like, don't miss that. That was amazing. But it's in India, so you have to go to India to get there. Um, and then after that, <laughs> I, <laughs> I <Okay>. said... <laughs> well, you make making India sound like it's a bad place. It's, I, it's, I, it's I'm not. just so fascinated with the idea of going to India and the whole, that kind of spiritual Buddhism kind of thing yeah. going on and... Like the and Indian just, version of ayahuasca. And ju- well, just the, <laughs> just the intensity of the humanity and how you kind of have to take yourself down ten notches just to be able to deal with being a person in amongst all those other people, right, right? Right, And it's just so overwhelming. I mean, like, we talked in the beginning, I went to Namibia because there's no people there, which I was like, this is great. There's no mm-hmm. people. This is perfect. And then you go to, the, like, the most populated country in the world, and it's just wall-to-wall people. And how long were you in India? I think I ended up staying a week because then I ended up flying back to Mumbai with my friend because I was like, I'm leaving mm-hmm. right after this. And then she's like, well, I'm staying in Mumbai for work. And I was like, okay, like, I'll just go with you. So I ended up going back to Mumbai and spending a few more days with her. And then um, I took off. And then that was Ibiza. And then... Oh, uh, then it was Iceland and then Ibiza. Oh, Iceland and Ibiza. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, all right. It's time, time, time for the sex part <laughs> of the trip. So, oh my gosh! Yeah. So you're not a big drinker. So you're not obviously you're not having those kind of mistaken. No. Like to me, when I'm remembering the highlight reel of my time being single, there there were the times where I was attracted to someone based on a, a kind of a logical, sober interaction with them, and then mm-hmm. there were the other times where I had been drinking, and only afterwards could I make a real rational decision <laughs> of whether I had just done something that was a good idea or a bad idea, but it had already happened. Right. But you're having experiences that are hope- sober, is, right. that my, is sober. that right? Yeah. I would say most of my experiences were sober. So um, I have a thing for European men. Like, I'm not that interested in American men in general. They just, like, don't do it for me. I don't know if it's the way they dress or their haircuts or what it is, but it just doesn't do it for me. So, um, when I was... I feel like that those were the first two specific things that you mentioned. Could be the way they dress or their haircuts, you know. It's <laughs> like no depth to it. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I have used Tinder, which I'm sure my, you're probably well aware my generation uses. I've seen uh, demonstrations and uh, little, like, personal versions of a TED Talk about Tinder with friends of mine. Where they kind of, they're mostly showing me the crazy pictures of like right. some lady with a skull on her head <laughs> and another lady with a pet monkey or somebody with their boyfriend. Like what, what kind of, this is your picture that you're trying to get me to go on a date with you? Anyway, so you use Tinder. I've heard, I also, I used to be doing jokes about Tinder and uh, it was amazing to me how many people then in the crowd had met and were a couple. It was like a real legitimate It was a real thing, yeah, people. yeah. yeah. So, um, I turn my, I don't turn my Tinder on often, but I do when I'm in Europe because I feel like that's a real hot spot for me. Like I'm able to get a lot of matches because I'm attracted to the people on there. And I think probably since I'm foreign to them, I get a lot of matches. So you're exotic. It's fun to be exotic. I know, isn't, isn't it, it the best? It's the yeah. best. Um, so I did have, um, I'd spent a few days in Germany and I, my Tinder really just blew up while I was there. So I did a total of five dates in four days. Um, with German men that I'd met on Tinder. And uh, one of those led to, to you know, sex. And um, mm-hmm. that was really great. It was great. It was, and I don't know, like, I know you're married and you have a family, but Europeans are so much cooler about sex. You know, they're not like, they're not all like stuck up and concerned and like, oh, you know, like you're a whore or whatever. Like afterwards they're like, oh, like, do, do you want to get a coffee? Like, do you know what I mean? Well, here we've kind of got that either, 
either if you're going to have sex without knowing someone for a little, you know, like the third date or whatever, then you're then you're a whore. Maybe yeah. some people are even the third date you're a whore. Yeah. So we've either got Before that. Before marriage, I mean, yeah. We've either, we've either got we've either got that or or we've got. Uh, you know some other hang-ups about sex here, like that you've got to you've got to know somebody for a long time. It's a really serious thing. It's a big deal. You had what if you have sex with someone and it doesn't work out? Oh my God, you made this terrible mistake. That uh, you know, it's like it's not like you told them your password to your ATM. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. just you you let them in your underwear. Right. Exactly. I just and I. I mean, I'm, I've always been very like open with my body and I've always felt like very sexually liberated and I've never been ashamed of my body or ashamed of any of those things. So none of those things really cross my mind when it comes to having a one night stand or casual. So this was a nice German man. Very nice German man. Um, he probably definitely lied about his age on Tinder though. Like claimed to be 38, but was solidly in his forties, but it was fine. We still had a great time. Um, and then I moved on and went on to my other countries Um, and had not no contact with him since then. Um, I think we like sent a couple text messages after that, Uh but like really like what's, you know, and it wasn't creepy or weird. It was nice. No, it was nice. It was nice. The thing you hear about German porn, it can be a little bit, they're they're into some kind of weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was very, a very normal encounter. There was no like, German mistress or any type of weird thing. Or, or Scheiße. Yeah. There's no poop. No poop, right? <laughs> there was no none poop. of that. There was okay, no good. poop. There was okay, no good. poop. Yeah. Um, I just have to ask. I ask the tough questions. Yeah, I know. And I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. Somebody has to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, something else happened on my trip that we haven't touched on. I, um, I met someone really special while I was on my trip. And I fell flat on my face, madly in love with someone while I was traveling. Um, and we had a lot of sex, obviously. And uh, it was another German guy. Like, and he was traveling then with you on your itinerary for a while? A little bit, yeah. Um, so we met... Where did you meet him? I met him in Panama in, in that, that place. I told you we have to, like, use your own water to flush the toilet. Before... This was after the drinking. Um, yes, this was before the drinking, actually. And then... So we met, and then it, it turned out that we were all going to be flying to Panama City the next day, and then my friend was coming into town. So we all went out that night and, like, raged all night. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the throwing up happened. Um, and we were just... Did the sex happen before or after the vomiting? Um, the sex actually didn't happen until after Australia. Oh. So, yeah, I know. It's a little... Oh, wow. So I know. He, you should see this. He's, like, getting really comfortable in his chair. So, He's like, so you meet him in Panama, and he travels with you for a while then? Yeah, so we, we spent a few time, a few days in Panama. We kind of, like, totally fall for each other. But, I, like, here's the thing. Like, if I like someone, I'm not going to give it up right away. I'm kind of like, oh, i got to hang on to that, you know? So, like, i got to, you know, you know how it is. Well, I sort of do, except this flies in the face of the German guy who you've already slept with, who right, you were just like, oh, he's not, he's not yeah. a, a, a major candidate, so no, he, he's allowed to get in there right away. Yeah. And get in there. I'm sorry that I put that, it that, that was, way. That's but, okay. You know. It's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm not offended. I told you you could ask and say anything. Um, yeah, but he, that was a different story. I mean, I wasn't going to have a life with that guy. Um, so this guy, we're like super enamored with each other. We're like, oh my God, it's fate. He's more age appropriate. He's age appropriate. Um, he's in his late 20s or something like that. And he's on the same wavelength with you. He feels this way Oh my about gosh, you. yeah. It was like instant. Yeah. It was like instant, like the whole thing. I actually wrote a whole blog on how we fell in love and everything. So he goes back to Germany and he says, I have to, I have to see you again. I have to meet you on your trip again. Um, so I travel all of Central and South America basically with him and my phone, you know, like talking to him, FaceTiming, all this stuff. Um, and then he said, okay, I'll come and meet you in Southeast Asia. So we ended up meeting again in... Uh, Flew into Bangkok, met in Bangkok, and then we did Cambodia and Myanmar together. So mm-hmm. after 
um, you had invited me to come see one of your shows um, that night. And I said, I can't. I'm flying to Bangkok tomorrow. Right, right. So I was actually going to see him. And we were super in love. And we were already, like, talking, like, oh, we're going to get married. We're going to spend our life together. I mean, this was, like, the whole wow. nine yards. It was the whole nine yards, yes. And for me, um, I had been single for several years. Like, um, I've just, I'm, I don't know. I have a hard time, like, clicking with people. Like, been, I can, I've been on like a hundred first dates where the guy is just like on paper, he's perfect. And in person he's perfect. But I'm like, I don't feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me to have this connection with someone was really profound. It was really a big deal for me. I was like, oh my gosh, all I ever wanted was by the time I'm 30 to meet someone and have the right person. And I felt like this mm -hmm. was it. I felt like he was the one and he felt the same way. And so we met in Bangkok and we went on to do all of Cambodia together. And then we went to Myanmar, which was an experience. And we were just so in love and everything was, I mean, it was like probably too. So that was just to, just to remind myself and anybody listen, you're on the honey, that was the honeymoon Island, which you didn't tell me before. Yeah. <laughs> but you're on honeymoon Island with the man. Yeah. Now I'm with a man. Well, I don't know if Cambodia and Myanmar are honeymoon Island, but you know, we went to, we went there and, um, it was two of like the most profound weeks of my life. Like I was so in love. It was like probably was some of the happiest times of my entire life because I thought, like, this is it. This is this guy. We're mm -hmm. going to get married. And yeah. we talked about everything. Like, like oh, we're, you, like, where are we going to live? And he was from Munich, and I had lived in Munich um, when I was in my early 20s. So it was like, oh my gosh, we lived near each other for all these years and didn't know each other. And, and you've been – so now this period of the trip, now, now that you've gotten back together with him, how long is this period of time that you're hanging out? couple weeks couple now. weeks and it's like we're i'm gonna move to munich and we were talking uh -huh. about getting an apartment and that we were gonna like when we get married we're gonna keep our own names and we're not gonna have kids and like all i mean everything was just a miracle it was like a mirror like mm -hmm. i was just i was so i was just in i was like blindly in love you know what i mean like and i've i've really only felt love one other time when i was a teenager so this uh -huh. was a really big deal for me i understand um and it's too bad that he couldn't make it to the show the other night when you came down. Oh, it's too bad because... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah, what I'm saying. So I feel like this story, it's it like it sounds ending. so good it and does, now it's going to yeah. have a hurdy So, time. But you're talking about the sex, so there was a lot of sex there. I mean, it was just non-stop sex, basically. It was just like... And it, super fun, good sex, yeah, it was high just like, quality, oh my love, God, like, yeah, love um, connected, that totally, sort of like, and, and like risky, like on the roof of a hostel in Cambodia, mm -hmm. like things like that, like the real good stuff. Like people. in a movie, well, like theme music Yeah, kind of theme sex. music, yeah, it was totally, I mean, the thing, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Everything about it was great. Mm -hmm. um, so then uh, we we separate. He flies back to Munich, and I was supposed to meet him in Munich a, a few weeks later. And um, he just texts me and said, "I'm sorry, I don't feel the same. I don't. I don't think you should come to Munich. Um, I I don't know why, but that that's it. I'll give because he he taken some of my stuff and my my stuff home. And I say home in quotes because he's like, I I had purchased some things while I was there. He's like, oh, buy the things you want to buy, and I'll take them home because I hadn't been able to buy any souvenirs because mm -hmm. I had such a small bag. And he's like, oh, buy things and I'll take them home. I'll take them to our home, you know. So I like bought all this stuff and like sent him home with my stuff and uh, to my, Munich. To Munich. And mm -hmm. my cousin actually had re just very recently moved to Munich for a job. Mm -hmm. So um, he said, I'll, I'll take all your all your stuff to your cousin's house, and I'll drop it off there, and then you can get it whenever you see your cousin. And then that was pretty much it. He just ghosted. Pretty much. We had, like, a couple conversations. Uh, he never really gave me, like, a solid answer about why or what. And I said, you know, are you... Never found out? You never found Not out? Not really, no. I was like, uh -huh. are you in love with your ex? Are you in a relationship? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, you know what I mean? Like, are you it's not... some other person is... It, that's some what other I thought. person, but he's not telling you that. Yeah, and he was like, no, I just... I, I want to be alone, and 
I, I don't know why. And I really had the best time of my life with you. And I was like, well, did you just lie about everything? Because everything felt so real. And he's like, no, everything was real. Mm-hmm. Everything I felt with you was real. I just, I don't know. I got home and everything changed. And then that was it. And he just was like out of my life. So, oh, Whitney, I'm sorry. That's so hurty. I know. You, like, people are still listening, thinking they're going to get, like, hot sex, and then you get, like, a downer at the end. Well, then what was it? So that was... That was... It hurt. Yeah, it was hurty. That's a great word. But you still got... Then you went to Nepal and India and Iceland and Ibiza after mm-hmm. that, right? I kept on going. Yeah, I kept on going. Were, um, you, were you really suffering? I was. Yeah, I was mm. really suffering. It was really, really hard um, because I had had this idea that my trip was going to wrap up. And I was going to go start this new life in Munich, a place I'd already lived. Mm-hmm. I, I'd lived in, in Munich before. I already spoke some German. And we'd already kind of started building this fantasy land. And so I thought, you know, at the end of my trip, that, that's what's going to happen. That's the next step of my mm-hmm. life. I'm going to move back to Germany. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have this this life in Europe. Like, you know, and I felt like that's where it was going. And then all of a sudden that was just gone. So it was, um, that was really, yeah, it was hard. And it was hard to continue on my trip in that state for sure because I was so heartbroken. Um, yeah. But I I I didn't want to I didn't want to let him stop me from finishing. You know what I mean? Sure. Like part of me wanted to just give up and go home and cry forever, you know, just be done and, you know, that's it. That's all. But I I didn't want that to happen. So so I kind of I don't want to say like soldiered on, but I I kept going. Yeah, you know, the the thing that people always say to you in that situation is uh, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And I do believe that that is true. But when you take that punch, I mean, that's the way you feel when you're in the middle of the rooftop theme music, sex, love time. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely how you feel yeah. then. And that's how you feel when you're looking forward to having that time. Mm-hmm. But right after the bottom falls out and it's that what you're talking about now... Boy, that is that is a really rough time, and that must have been very hard to be on this dream trip yeah. and experience that. Yeah, um, it was hard, and well, a funny story, so we don't, we don't want to leave our audience all sad, but so I'm flying, so he, he breaks up with me, and then I have a flight to uh, Qatar. I end up having, an, I, I have a, a connection on my way to Italy to meet some friends. I have a, a long connection in Doha, Qatar. I end up turning it into an overnight trip. And I really just start losing it on the plane. I'm just crying. You know, I put on my my fake hijab that I had from Turkey. And I'm just crying. And I really can't get a hold of myself. And this flight attendant comes by and she sees me. And she's like, what's wrong? You know, are you okay? And I said, I'm sorry. I'm just just having a hard time. And she's like, come back. You know, so she takes me back to where the flight attendants sit. And she just starts pouring me glass after glass of champagne. So I'm just getting hammered on this flight, right? Because it's all free alcohol and Qatar Airlines. Everybody thinks that that is a great solution to sadness, but it can also backfire on you. But the funny thing is, so there's a funny thing about this. So then we land, and I have to get a visa on arrival in Qatar. Well, I don't know if you know this about Qatar, but it's a a Muslim (laughs) country, and it's... You know what? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for assuming that I know anything about Qatar. So Qatar is a a Muslim-majority country where alcohol, I believe, is forbidden, and you can't be drunk in public. So those are things that you go to jail for in Qatar. And you're hammered trying to get a visa. Hammered, hammered, right? So I'm so focused on, okay, I got to go up. I got to get through customs. I got to, you know, so I'm putting my my fake job on, putting my sunglasses on, trying to blend in. So focused on that. I get through. I get the visa. I take a breath. I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad they didn't take me to the Qatar airport jail. That would have been awful. And then I'm just like following my way to a taxi, like just trying to just get out, you know, just like get to my hotel, get to my hotel. And um, they're checking me in. They're like, oh, and Miss Whitrock, where's your luggage? And I was like, at the airport. 
I left it at the airport. I was so <laughs> like, oh my god, because you're I, drunk and you're just. I know. I was so drunk and I was so just trying to not get arrested for being drunk in public, which is a crime there. Mm-hmm. That I like literally left my luggage at the airport, and I was like, no, there will there will be no luggage. Um, so then I just go up to my room. I order dinner. I go to bed. I don't even go out to see Doa that night. I just I was kind of hungover at this point. It's like, whatever, I'll just get, I got to figure out my luggage. Like, where are my things? So I go back to the airport, go back to Qatar Airlines, which again is super nice, kind of up there with like Emirates and Singapore. Mm-hmm. And I go to the check-in counter and I was like, oh, like I, I accidentally like didn't get my luggage last night thinking that they took it away. You know, there's a bomb in it, whatever. And she's like typing. She's like, oh, nope, it's already on the plane. It's on its way to Venice. It'll meet you there. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like what luck. So, wow. Wow. yeah. So that was, there was a little bit of a funny thing That's that happened with story. that. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit now, and we'll just wrap up, but talk a little bit about your reentry after the trip. Was it hard to come home and hard to get your, start your life back, or were you sort of ready to get back into it? Um, it was hard. It was a transition. Um, I was still really sad about the breakup and thinking that my life was going to be completely different, and mm-hmm. I felt like that was a really tough pill to swallow because I felt like I'd just done like the most amazing thing I'd ever done in my whole life. You know, I mm-hmm. spent all the money I had traveling and being amazing and constantly being, you know, bombarded with these amazing experiences. And then just coming back to real life, you're just like, whoa, this is boring. Um, so it was hard. It was a transition period and it was not easy coming back. And I definitely went through a phase of, you know, uncomfortableness and just being like, how do I get back into life? You know, and that took a few months and then I got back into work. And then once I, and going back to work was the hardest. I remember going back and being back at a desk and thinking like, oh, and you were able to pick up another contract that wasn't right. a problem, so yep. that's good. And did you tell me you bought a new place now? Or I haven't. Um, I haven't decided what I want to do, so I'm I'm renting with a friend right now. I, I I haven't decided if I want to buy another place or if I want to save and do another trip. I'm not sure. Like, so I'm keeping my money just in some casual investment yeah. accounts for now. Do you think you want to do another trip? It sounds yes. like you do. Yes, yeah. I do. And where are you going to go? Um, so my next big trip that I'd like to take, I want to kind of go into a little more unexplored countries. I'd like to do. Um, Oman, Ethiopia, Sudan. Um, yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see Ethiopia. Yeah, I'd like to see those churches that are dug out of the ground. Right, we were talking about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd like to see that. Ethiopia is also, I think, one of the only African countries that's not been conquered. I think so. I think yeah. you're right on that. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So yeah, I just want to do some more. I still haven't done Egypt. I want to do Egypt. I want to do more Mongolia. Just countries that are you know, like the road less traveled, you know, I want to kind of do that. I want to do it again. I don't know if I'll do it as long again because it was a long time, but I definitely want to do another significant. There's somebody listening to this right now thinking, God, I want to go, but I can't because of X, Y, Z. What do you say to them? Um, just do it. Do what you have to do to get it done. You know, like if you, if you sit and you think, Oh, I have all these things to do. Don't just there's that saying, what is it? You, you eat the elephant one bite at a time or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. if you think, Oh, I can't because of my job. Like, no, go, go talk to your employer. Maybe say like, Hey, I want to, you don't have to do it for a year. Maybe you want to do it for two or three months. Go to your employer and say, I want to take a sabbatical. I want to, I want to take this time off and focus on myself and do world travel. And you know, maybe your company will let you take two or three months off. I, that's becoming more and more of a popular thing, especially as millennials are taking over the workforce. You know, do that. If you don't have money, you know, if it's about money, cut back your expenses, lower your rent, stop eating out, you know, make a budget and stick to it. You know, if it's time, if it's money, if if you're scared, um, it's okay to be scared. Like there are things in life that are scared and it's okay to be scared of it, but also know that it's more dangerous to drive to work 
than it is to get on a plane to go to a foreign country because you're more likely to die in a car crash, you know? Yeah. So you can do it. You just, my, my, my advice is just do it. Find a way, make a way, just do it. Like let go of the social pressure, let go of your own pressure, you know, find a way, you know, there are ways. Just look at every, everything that's holding you back and find a way to get around it. And go by yourself. I would say go by your, if you're lucky enough to have a partner that loves you and you love them and you have the same ambitions then yeah, do it with a partner, do it with someone you love, experience that together. But you know, if you're, if you're like me and you're single and it hasn't happened for you yet, no, go alone. You will have the time of your life. It sounds amazing. Your trip. And I'm so happy with how this uh, conversation unfolded in the way that we did the, the, the stuff at the end without working it out ahead of time. Thank you very much for you're talking to me. And uh, I, if you're listening, I hope that you enjoyed this. And if you want to see more about Whitney, as you already know, you can go to... My website, my blog. It's highheelsandalaptop.com. Highheelsandalaptop.com. And this is what I always say at the end of every episode. Uh, don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. Thank you all. And uh, talk to you soon. Thanks. I can't hear you unless you talk into the machine.